0: for joining us tonight if you're joining us why don't you uh do a watch party is that what it's called <laughs> and share it please share it uh it's good to be able to um share the love of god in this time of sometimes uncertainty and um it brings joy so why don't you join us tonight in worship a hallelujah in the presence of man So I uh... with everything inside of me I raise a hallelujah I will watch the darkness flee Oh I raise a hallelujah in the midst to hold on me. Oh, so I Sing a little louder. Oh, sing a So I... You bring life, you are love, you bring light to the darkness, you bring hope, you restore
1: Lord, we magnify your name. We exalt you, Jesus, as King of kings and Lord of lords. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for dwelling in this place, for dwelling in us. We trust you, Holy Spirit, to open the eyes of our spiritual understanding that we might see who we are in Christ in a greater way than we've ever known or ever seen. And Father, I pray that every person under the sound of my voice would have a receptive heart, listening ears, and an open mind to see and understand the truth of your word. We love you, Father, and we thank you for doing great things for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good evening, folks. I'm going to start in Galatians chapter 3 uh the galatian church or churches galatia is a region not a town paul writes a letter that was intended and was passed around from city to city throughout the region of galatia and apparently the reason for paul writing and uh informing them of the things that he did was because after he had established churches there in the the region of galatia some years prior to this point in time the jews from many of the jews from jerusalem have come to this place and they've imposed upon the people that are already saved people that have already received jesus as their lord and savior but tried to impose upon them the the, keeping the law of moses and so paul is talking to them about this it's certainly as we know and understand Uh, The law of Moses is unnecessary once you make Jesus the the Lord of your life. And so Paul is talking to them about how foolish uh, it is for them to have allowed the Jews to impose this law of Moses back upon them. Galatians chapter 3 verse 1, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth, crucified among you? This only would I learn of you. Receive ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. He's asking them very simply, how did you get saved? Did you get saved by keeping the law of Moses or by, by believing in the finished work of Jesus? Verse 3, are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? The point is very simply made, if the keeping of the law or the works of the flesh is what was necessary, then how could you have gotten saved by faith? But now that you have been saved by faith, what makes you think that the keeping of the law or the works of the flesh would have any benefit or produce some spiritual result? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it yet be in vain? He therefore that ministers to you the Spirit. He's talking about God. He's saying when God ministers to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, Does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Again, he's talking about how did you get saved? Did you get saved through keeping the law of Moses or did you get saved by believing in the finished work of Jesus? Now, I want you to notice he's speaking of two different things, two different works of God. He says, he that ministers to you the Spirit. Again, that's talking about salvation. It could probably also be included in uh, uh, ministering the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. But that's the first thing. He says, does he do that by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? The second thing is, he that works miracles among you. When God performs a miracle in our midst or for our benefit, does he do that by the works of the law? Because we've kept the the law of Moses to such a degree that we've earned it? Or does he do it by faith? Verse 6 is the answer. Even as Abraham believed God, not just by faith, but the Abraham kind of faith. "...even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. They're Gentiles in the flesh, but because they've made Jesus the Lord of their lives, they're children of Abraham by faith. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, not through the works of the law, but through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, "...in thee shall all the nations be blessed." I want you to see that, folks. Notice that God showed Abraham enough of his plan and purpose to show where the the child of promise fits in. He fits in because through the descendants of Abraham by which Jesus came to the earth, the work of Jesus on the cross, the sacrificial work of Jesus on the cross was made available to the whole earth, not just to the Jews but also to the Gentiles by the hearing of faith. So he preached the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all the nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. If there is one thing that we have an abundance of information on, it's how Abraham believed God. We see Abraham's success. We see Abraham's failure. We see the same challenges that that we uh, experience. We see the same results in Abraham that we've probably experienced ourselves when we turned loose of the promise of God because it wasn't fulfilled in a certain period of time, we've got more information about Abraham and his faith in God than any other thing, and that's for a reason because the Bible wants us to know, God wants us to know, and so he gave it to us in his word. He wants us to know what kind of faith receives from God, receives anything from God, receives everything from God. He wants us to know the kind of faith that will receive even miracles. Now, that um, information about Abraham's faith is in Romans chapter 4. I know we talk about Romans chapter 4 a lot. We talk about the subject of faith a lot, but you can't overemphasize the importance of faith. Without faith, it's impossible to receive from God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So in Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 17, it tells us about Abraham's faith. Here's the kind of faith that works miracles or receives a miracle. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even god who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were here where it says before him whom he believed that word before means like it's telling us that abraham was an imitator of god in disrespect it says two things about god he quickens the dead and he calls things that be not as though they were and it says that abraham was like unto god in those two respects now how can you be like god in quickening the dead well how does god quicken the dead except by his word when it says that abraham was like god who quickens the dead and who calls things that be not as though they were it's telling us that abraham's faith included speaking life to his body because of his age he and sarah both were too old to have children they had no natural circumstance in their bodies whatsoever i'm sure sarah had already been through menopause there was no experience, there was no condition, there was no circumstance in their body that lended even the least a bit of encouragement or hope to them for the promise of God to be realized. Well, since they didn't have any natural circumstance to hope in, what did they have to place their hope in? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. You can't believe if you don't have hope. So what did they hope in? Notice verse 18, it says, who against hope believed in hope. In other words, believed in what God said, what God's promise was. That he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken. So they're putting their hope in the spoken word of God. So shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. When he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. I like another translation on this. It says, but looking under the promise of God, Abraham staggered not through unbelief but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to perform. Folks, notice that last phrase, being fully persuaded. Being fully persuaded. How did Abraham come to the place where he was fully persuaded? He kept speaking life to his body. He kept saying what God said. God said, I've already made you a father of nations. Well, he didn't have any children, so that certainly wasn't the, the truth as far as circumstances physical circumstances was concerned but because god said that he had done it it had to be true because god cannot lie so abraham continued to say what god said looking under the promise of god that's where his hope was his hope was that god would come bring to pass that which he had promised to him so he looked under the promise of god and he looked only under the promise of god he didn't consider his body now dead it doesn't mean he was in denial It simply means that he accepted that God's word was more real and more true than the physical circumstances of his flesh, of his and Sarah's bodies. So he considered not his own body now dead, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb, but was strong in faith. He staggered not at the promise of God. He kept looking at the promise of God and looking only at the promise of God, and it caused a strength, a strong faith, an unwavering faith. An unshakable faith. That's really what I want to talk to you about tonight, folks, is unshakable faith. Abraham's faith was unshakable. Now, why was that? Did God just give him something extra that the rest of us don't have? No, he he gained unshakable faith, unwavering faith, by keeping his eyes on what God had promised, by looking unto and looking only unto what God had promised. And we see the characteristics of that strong faith. He was strong faith. In two ways, or it's identified in two ways, giving glory to God. He praised God for the answer before he saw the answer. He praised God for the answer because of the promise of his word, not because of the things in his circumstances or his physical body. He was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what God had promised he was able also to perform. The Bible says in James chapter 1, if any of us lack wisdom, then we should ask of God. But then it tells us specifically how to ask. But let him ask in faith nothing wavering. For he that wavers is like the wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. Let not that man, the man that wavers, he's back and forth. He's standing in faith and speaking the word one day, and the next day he's down in the dumps and saying, Woe is me, why did these things happen to me, why did not God care? That's wavering faith. That's shakable faith. But the Bible tells us to ask in faith, nothing wavering. Well, if God tells us not to waver, then it's possible for us to not waver. Nothing wavering, for he that that wavers is like the wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Let not that man, the man that wavers, the man that's up one day and down the next, the man that's ruled by his emotions or his physical circumstances, let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Now I want to show you an example, use a couple of examples here. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 14. Let's get a picture of what shakable faith looks like. Because if we can identify what shakable or wavering faith looks like, then we can get a clear picture of unshakable faith. Verse 22 And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And then when the evening was come, he was there alone but the ship was now in the midst of the sea tossed with waves for the wind was contrary and in the fourth watch of the night jesus went unto them walking on the sea and when the disciples saw him walking on the sea they were troubled saying it is a spirit and they cried out for fear but straightway jesus spake unto them saying be not be of good cheer it is i be not afraid and peter answered him and said lord if it be thou bid me come unto thee on the water and he said come And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. He got exactly what he asked for, folks. Jesus told him to come, and Peter starts walking on the water to Jesus. Verse 30, something happens there. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried, saying, Lord, help me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. What happened? Peter starts off with a great miracle. He's experiencing, participating in a great miracle by walking on the water to come to Jesus. But he saw the wind boisterous. Well, that wasn't new. The wind didn't start blowing when he came out of the ship. That's why they're toiling and rowing and can't make much progress going to the other side. The storm was raging. He knew that before he ever stepped out of the boat. So what he saw, the wind that he saw that was making the waves high, maybe a wave splashed over him or something, we don't know. But whatever it was that drew his attention away from Jesus and the word that Jesus gave him that supported him and enabled him to partake of a miracle, the miracle of walking on the water, something diverted Peter's attention. It just says when he saw the wind boisterous. Was something about the, the conditions, the physical conditions in the middle of the storm drew Peter's attention away from what Jesus said, and it caused fear to rise in his heart. Now, there was no reason for him to fear. Jesus didn't say, come, you can walk on the water with me as long as you don't get swamped by a wave. He didn't say, you could walk with me and experience this great miracle unless the wind's blowing Something happened, though, that drew Peter's attention away. And he was afraid. And as a result, it encroached on that miracle that he was experiencing and partaking in. And he began to sink. Jesus grabbed a hold of him, lifted him up, and said, O thou little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? He had enough faith to walk in the water. He had enough faith to begin in this miraculous occurrence of walking on the water to go to Jesus but he let fear rob him from the complete work that Jesus was clearly able to support him in and willing for him to experience so then if we look at this and imagine that this is an example that the Holy Ghost gives us to show us how the, the principles work then we can readily understand that fear is the thing that causes people to be shaken in their faith let's see if that bears out turn with me now to mark chapter 5 we'll start in verse 22 and behold there came one of the rulers of the synagogue Jairus by name and when he saw him he fell at his feet and he besought him greatly saying my little daughter lies at the point of death I pray thee come and lay thy hands on her that she may be healed and she shall live And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue or power had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said, Daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague." While he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. Be not afraid, only believe. Now why is Jesus coaching this guy? Because he realizes that that the fear that's attached to the, the report that his daughter is already dead would certainly qualify as a reason for somebody to turn loose of their faith. But Jesus is telling him, hold on to your faith. Don't let go. He doesn't tell him to start confessing. He doesn't tell him that he's going to need to start believing for something else. Before it was just healing. Now it's a miracle. So that changes things. He simply told him to refuse to yield to fear. In other words, Jesus is telling him, he's encouraging him to have unshakable faith. And he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and seeth the tumult, and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he said unto them, Why make you this ado, and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. But when he had put them all out, he took his father and his mother, the mother of the damsel, and them that were with him and entered in where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Talithi kumai, which is being interpreted damsel, I say unto thee arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of twelve years, and they were astonished with a great astonishment. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it and commanded that something should be given her to eat. Jesus says one word, be not afraid, only believe. And that man, Jairus, concerning his daughter, was willing to hold on to the faith that he had started with, the faith that he began with, the faith that caused Jesus to come with him to his house to begin with. That faith, because he refused to be shaken by the report. And folks, you can't get a much worse report than hearing that your daughter is dead but he didn't allow fear and the fear that was associated with that report changed what he believed in he didn't allow it to change what he had exercised his faith in to get jesus to come with him to begin with now let's look at another example in the book of jonah chapter two we know the story of jonah god tells jonah to go to nineveh and preach something very specific to them If they don't repent, then with a certain period of time, the judgment of God would fall upon the city. And we know the end result. They did repent. Well, Jonah apparently didn't want the Ninevites to repent. He didn't want them to receive the blessing of God. When he heard that the judgment of God was going to come upon them, if they didn't repent, then that's what he wanted things to be. So he starts running away. He gets on a ship to go to Tarshish, which is in the other direction from Nineveh. And he's in this ship, and the ship is overtaken by a great storm. This storm is something that God was doing to draw their attention. It says Jonah was in the, uh, the lower part of the ship asleep. And so when the, the crew of the ship came to him, they started questioning him and found out that it was, this storm was because he was disobeying and running away from God. Well, Jonah knew the only uh, solution for them was to throw him overboard. So he told them to do it. First time he told them they didn't want to do that, they felt like that would be an insult to the God that Jonah worshipped. But it came to the place where they had no choice, and so they threw him out. And as soon as they threw him out, the storm ceased, and and everything became calm. And it says God prepared a fish, and that fish swallowed up Jonah. Now in chapter 2, beginning with first verse one it tells us what Jonah does finding himself in the belly of the fish then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly and said I cried by reason of my infliction unto the Lord and he heard me out of the belly of hell cried I and I thou heardest my voice for thou hast cast me into the deep in the midst of the seas and the floods compass me about all thy billows and thy waves passed over me Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet will I look again toward thy holy temple. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet thou hast brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came in unto thee, unto thy holy temple. Notice verse 8. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that which I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. Jonah comes to himself in the belly of this fish, and apparently he repents. And makes a vow unto God. That vow would certainly be something like. If you'll deliver me and get me to Nineveh. I promise I'll preach whatever you tell me to preach. And I'll deliver the message that you give me to deliver. But he's still surrounded by fish. Folks this is one of the most. Unbelievable. Stories in the Bible. It takes confidence in God to believe that this thing's really happened. But notice Jonah. Who's a prophet? We really don't have a whole lot of information about Jonah in the Bible outside of the book that bears his name, the few chapters that we have here. We don't know much about Jonah. We don't know about how faithful Jonah was in every respect of his life. We know that he wasn't faithful in this until he found himself in trouble and had to either die or turn around and repent. But Jonah knew God well enough to know that being in the belly of the fish, wasn't the end of anything at least it didn't have to be the end of anything and so he prays he prays for the he prays for salvation in this case salvation would be deliverance and so he prays for deliverance and then calls his circumstances lying vanities now why are they lying vanities well the circumstances certainly indicate that he's so far out of the will of god you can't get back into the will of god from there And so he recognizes that this fish is one of two things. It's either a tomb for Jonah or it's a means of transportation. Once he prays and vows unto God, then he calls this fish and everything surrounded with being in the fish's belly, lying vanities. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercies. Folks, if the fish that Jonah was in the middle of is a lying vanity then our bodies that don't instantly respond to the truth of god's word concerning healing those are lying vanities too because the bible says jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses and with his stripes we were healed it's already done it doesn't have to be done again there's nothing left to perfect or to finish jesus paid the price he sacrificed himself to set us free from spiritual death poverty, and sickness. So they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercies. Let me look at one more example. Hebrews chapter 11, here's the story of Abraham again. Abraham and Sarah received the child of promise. Abraham's 100 years old when Isaac is born. Sarah is 90 years old when he's born. And so life goes on. They raise this child, they recognize the supernatural and even the miraculous aspect to Isaac's birth. But then the the time comes where the angel of the Lord speaks to Abraham and tells him to offer Isaac up as a sacrifice. And so he tells him where to go. They go on a three-day journey until they see Mount Moriah. Abraham tells the servants that are traveling with them to prepare the stuff that they're going to need for the sacrifice and wait for them there Abraham says something very specific in Genesis chapter 22. He said, I and the lad talking about his son, we shall return unto thee again. He's expecting Isaac to come down that mountain with him. And so he gets up there. He, Isaac asked the question. He says, we've got everything except the lamb to sacrifice. What are we going to do about that? And Abraham says, God will provide himself a sacrifice. He's probably speaking, well, he is speaking prophetically. Whether he knows he's doing that or not, we don't know. But he gets up to the top of the mountain. He binds Isaac, lays him on the altar, just as he would a lamb to offer it up as a burnt offering unto God. And the angel of the Lord stops him as he draws back the knife to take his son's life. He stops him and says, Now I know that you won't withhold your son, even your only son, from me. It becomes the foundation for God giving his son to us. It becomes the foundation of the Abrahamic covenant that enabled God to offer his only son as a sacrifice for us. In Hebrews chapter 11, I want you to look at some uh, information, some details about this story that shows us uh, Abraham's mindset when God tells him to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. Starting in verse 17, it says, By faith Abraham when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Remember, God had told Abraham that his seed would be like the stars of the sky and that Isaac was that child of promise through which that seed and and Abraham's lineage, his heritage, would continue. Verse 18, of whom it was said that in Isaac thy seed shall be called accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from whence he also received him in a figure this is a little blind to us from the King James English but it simply says that God recognized that the promise I'm sorry Abraham recognized that the promise that God had made included Isaac Isaac couldn't die and stay dead and the promise of God be realized so Abraham thinks this through And he uh, considers, he understands, Remember that he was persuaded, fully persuaded that what God had promised he was able also to do concerning the birth of his son Isaac. Well, I'm sure he still feels the same way. And so he says, God gave me this son that we've named Isaac and said that my seed, which shall be as the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore, will come through Isaac. So Isaac has to live. Isaac has to survive. So if that means God will have to raise him from the dead, if I go through this and that's what God has instructed me to do, then if he has to raise him from the dead, he will. But Isaac has to live. And it says that as far as Abraham was concerned, he received him. He already received him before he ever went up the mountain. He already received Isaac as one raised back from the dead. Folks, that's fully persuaded. That's unshakable faith. That's unshakable faith. That's the kind of faith that receives from God every time. That's the kind of faith that the devil can't do anything about. That's the kind of faith that the devil can't hinder. That's the kind of faith that fear will not shake. Somebody made the comment, I think it was F.F. Bosworth, that said this many years ago. He said adversity will not injure true faith adversity will not injure true faith now there are a lot of people that are on the edge of faith they're trying their best to believe God and then some doctor's diagnosis or some condition rises in their flesh some circumstance and they throw the whole thing away they conclude well I thought I was in faith and I thought God was working for me but I guess not but remember Abraham in Romans chapter 4 Abraham didn't have anything to hope in in this natural realm in his natural body against hope he believed in hope the hope that came from the promise of god he's doing that same thing in this instance some 17 or 18 years later perhaps he doesn't have any hope other than what god had promised and it's still the same promise so shall thy seed be so shall thy seed be folks once the words of faith are spoken never turn back on them no matter what things look like no matter how long it's been no matter how difficult the road is never turn back on the word of faith once the word of faith is spoken that's it refuse absolutely refuse to be shaken refuse to waver but choose like abraham did choose to be strong in faith giving glory to god and being fully persuaded that what god had promised he's able also to perform god's able to make his word good for each and every one of us a thousand times over there's nothing that's more powerful than the universe than the word of God because the word of God created the universe so don't ever allow fear don't ever allow circumstance don't ever allow a doctor's report or any other circumstance of life turn you from the word of faith that you've spoken from your heart be not afraid only believe and operate in unshakable faith let me say a prayer with you before we go father in the name of Jesus I know there are people that are listening and watching this broadcast, that are faced with challenges, physical challenges, in their bodies. In the name of Jesus, Father, we say what you say. We say that Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses, and with his stripes we were healed. We thank you, Father, that the work's already done. We're not trying to accomplish the work because Jesus already did that. We just simply receive it. We receive our healing as a free gift from God because of what Jesus has done. We may not have any natural hope to hope in, Father, but we put our hope in your word. And as a result, we believe that we receive healing from the top of our head to the soles of our feet. If anyone has Corona-19, this coronavirus, that's listening to me now, we curse this thing. We command their bodies to be healed and to be made whole. We thank you, Father, for raising them up. We declare, even as your word says, the prayer of faith has healed the sick, and you, Lord, are raising them up. Thank you, Father, for your willingness, your goodness, and your mercy to always minister your healing power to raise us up, because healing is of you. Thank you, Father, that it's done in Jesus' precious name, amen, amen. Amen. Well, folks, thank you so much for being with us. We'll see you again Wednesday night. Have a great week. God bless.